Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This morning, guest preacher is uh, Pastor Wes O'Neill. Uh, Darwin and I had the uh, privilege of meeting him some months back. Um, Darwin and I uh, just finished a, uh, a three years on the theological exams committee for the presbytery. And um, through that process, we met uh, Wes O'Neill as he was being approved to be the interim pastor at Arlington Presbyterian Church. And he just finished uh, that work up there here last week. And uh, so Darwin called him and asked if he would be uh, willing to fill in while Darwin's on vacation this week. So... Um, we uh, welcome Wes to the pulpit, and um, let me pray for you as we start. Lord, we praise you for your grace and mercy. We pray that your word would go forth with power, that we would not see this as the words of men, but that your word working in our heart. We pray that we would uh, walk in faithful obedience, that our hearts would be engaged, uh, and that you would uh, work so to glorify your name this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Is this a timer up here? <laughs> That's pretty scary. Either that or it's an ejection seat. I'm not sure which. It is good to, to be here. Uh, what a beautiful church, wonderful music, uh, warm welcome. Thank you so much. If you would please take your Bibles and turn to the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. Just out of interest, Steve, or somebody, how, what, what time am I shooting for? Noon? I can do it. Before we do read the Lord's Word, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it discerns even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, and I pray that it truly would do that this morning for each of us. Father, we're treading over ground uh, with the 23rd Psalm that we know very well and may have memorized, but I pray that uh, each of us will look anew at these wondrous words, that we will truly get a sheep's eye view of our Creator and our Sustainer, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, and that you will bless even the reading of your word for the growth of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm in the, uh, the NIV. Sometimes it's good to read other versions of something that's very, very familiar. Uh, it's interesting that though the NIV changed a lot of uh, things from the King James and wording, they stayed pretty close on this one. I think they had uh, the feeling that as they were uh, translating, if they changed it too much or, uh, or did too much with it, that there'd be some, uh, some howls from folks. But listen as I read the 23rd Psalm from the NIV. It is a psalm of David. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Max Licato tells the story of Chippy the parakeet. Some of you may have read this, but it tells the story of uh, Chippy who was just sitting in his cage one day. He was happy and singing and everything was fine. And his owner decided that she was going to clean out the cage. And so as she had done many times, she took the vacuum cleaner and turned it on and very, very carefully put it into the cage and was uh, vacuuming around the bottom and suddenly the phone rang. And so hearing it, it jolted her a bit, and she turned uh, to look at the phone, and suddenly here's looked, Chippy was not in his cage. Just all of a sudden, she, she grabbed the vacuum cleaner and tore it open and grabbed the bag and opened it up, and there was Chippy. And Chippy was alive, but he really wasn't looking all that good. So she grabbed him and ran into the kitchen and turned on the water and stuck him under the water to get all the dust off him. And when she was done with that, I looked at him and, and uh, Chippy was, was shivering. So she ran into the bathroom and grabbed the hairdryer and uh, turned it on high and, and blew him dry. Someone asked a couple of weeks later how Chippy was doing and she looked rather bemused and said, you know, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sort of sits there and stares. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? Everything seems to be going fine, and all of a sudden, things are not going fine. It just seems to happen almost like that. The phone call in the middle of the night. The call from the doctor's office. You know, the tests that we were running, we found something. We're not entirely sure what it is, but we would like you to come in tomorrow. The phone call that says, this is the police department. Do you have a child named... I don't want to be married to you anymore. So many things that happen that simply take us by surprise. The church explosion that we never expected. That happened at my church back in New York where I had served for about almost 12 years. And about four years before, we had a senior pastor who came and it was just an absolute uh, debacle. There had been really no... No major problems in the church for almost 60 years. It completely took us by surprise, though it shouldn't have, and led to incredible wreckage and hurt and brokenness through that. These things come, and sometimes we, we wind up not singing much anymore, and we just kind of sit there and stare. This morning, as we look at this psalm, this very, very well-known song, uh, psalm, I want it to be a reminder for us that not just in the good times when it seems to be easy, when things are going well and there's peace and plenty, and then we can sit and very, very self-satisfied praise the Lord that in times of great turmoil, in times of great darkness, in times of pain and sorrow and loss and fear, it actually becomes, if we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ, it becomes not only an opportunity but, but a great uh, great time to glorify God with thanksgiving in the midst of those things. We don't know when Psalm 23 was written. Uh, there's no inscription. It doesn't really tell us uh, very much. Some people have theorized, but we really don't know. I doubt, though, that it was on a very sunny day in uh, David's life. 
You don't normally write this kind of thing unless you are either just coming out of some very serious problems or you're in the midst of them. Somehow it's not the human way. It's not the way that that we operate, that when things are going well, that uh, we really feel the need of his guidance, though we do. Some people have suggested that this was when David was running from Absalom. You remember that his son had taken uh, taken the kingdom away from him, and he had absolutely nothing. He'd gone from being King David and having all the power and all the ability and, and everything to, to being in flight from his own son. And perhaps as he was sitting and looking out on a flock of sheep while he was on the run, that God opened his heart to David and reminded him of the fact that God had been with him every moment, that he had gotten to the point where he was as the king of Israel only because of God's power and God's grace. Uh, He wasn't, remember, the biggest or the strongest or, or any of that, but he was the one that God chose, the one through whom God was to do wondrous things. And so he says, not the Lord is a shepherd, but he realizes as we have to, and I hope you really understand and read that, that it says the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd, not just a shepherd. This is so personal, so deep. And it's not really a metaphor, unfortunately, that I think I understand all that well of the sheep and the shepherd. Certainly have read an awful lot about it, but I've never been a shepherd, never, never owned sheep, owned a lot of other types of animals, but never sheep. And so this kind of relationship that he's talking about is really not a metaphor that we understand immediately and really have to think and pray through. I think this psalm gives us a sheep's eye view if we will only admit the depth of our need for God. Only admit that and come to him and say, show me this, open this up. Open Isaiah 40 verse 11 that says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those who have young. He leads because he delights in us. He leads because he delights. He goes ahead, he encourages and leads by example and and provides all that we will physically or spiritually ever need in this life and into the life beyond, into eternal life. This is a sheep's eye view. It reminds us, if we look carefully at the words that are used, that he leads because he delights. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, a real shepherd delights in in his flock. Now, you remember that Jesus talks about the false shepherd who looks at it just as something to do, uh, some job and will leave uh, given any, uh, any opportunity. But here we have the one who is deeply, deeply attached to the sheep. I I used to go, I I was raised in Maine, and used to go to the county fairs. And one of the things that I love to do, and even love to do now, is to go to fairs and to go to the section where the young people are taking care of the animals, the 4-H or uh, whatever those groups happen to be in that area. And if you begin to talk to them and look at the animals, you realize that these young people know a tremendous amount about the animals that they're taking care of. And not just they know, but, but they, they primp them all up and, and clean them and make sure that they're safe, that they're well-fed. Part of the judging is how much they know and how well they've taken care of them. But it goes beyond just having to do it for the award. If you talk to these young people, they have, uh, they've really bonded with, the, with these animals. They love taking care of them. 
They love being around them. And sometimes you'll see in these places that they'll actually even sleep uh, in the same pen or very, very close to the animal because at the fairs they don't want anything to happen to them. They delight in them. Now, there's no way that that illustration does justice at all to the love that, that God has for us. Just a, a little glimpse. I'm not sure that, that we can give an illustration that gives the, the, the depth of that only, no matter how deep we go as human beings, we're just seeing maybe, maybe just barely the surface. Think of the opportunities that I've had to go into the hospital uh, when uh, a young couple has given birth to their first child. And I just remember the last, uh, the last family that went through that before I left First Press in Schenectady, New York. And I remember sitting there, and it was a young mother, and she had the child in her, in her lap and never, ever looked up. And all the time that I was there talking to her or anything else, just, just looked and you could see the wonder and, and the love in her eyes absorbed in this child. See, the one that David knew as father was also the one who delighted in his mercy to David. David begins to understand that so much. He loved us so much that he sent his only son. We, we, we say these things again and again, and, but the wonder of the fact that God, the creator of the universe, would love us enough to send his own son to die in our stead. I, I, I love you all, but quite frankly, I would not give my son, I don't think, for you. But God loved you and loved me so much that he was willing that his son would die for us to secure our salvation. It's a wondrous thing that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, carries the mandate from the Father that he would lay down his life for all who believe in him, and not just for the possibility of salvation. That would be a cruel joke if it were only the possibility of salvation. It would be cruel, and yet what we would see would be we'd never, ever come to him unless he drew us and enabled us and gave us Jesus Christ. In Zephaniah chapter 3, there's a, a great verse that I just go back over in my mind again and again and again of the picture of God's love. Listen to what he says. It says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And the King James that actually says, he will joy over thee. He will joy over you. He will rejoice over you with singing. We need to remember the love that God has for us. That's what is, is so evident in this psalm. It just comes again and again. That he will rejoice over us. The root word, or the root meaning of the word rejoice there, is to circle around. And the picture is almost uh, of, of someone dancing around, to circle around with protection and with love, that the Lord your God is with you. Not only is he mighty to save, it's, it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing that as, as our, our Father, that he circles us with his love. That as the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Redeemer, circles us with his love as our prophet and priest and king, we see that he reveals to us by his word and spirit what his will is for our salvation, that he, that he rules and defends us, and that he's conquered us, and that he intercedes for us, has made that sacrifice and stands as our high priest. 
What an astonishing picture of God's love. And it goes even deeper. Isaiah 62 reminds us that you, speaking of Israel, but speaking of the church and his people, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of our God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name, or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. There's that idea again of God just delighting in his people. Not, not saving them in a grumbling way, not dealing with us uh, because he sort of has to, but to take delight in us. It says, the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. We hardly expect to see that, do we, in the Old Testament? And yet the reminder of the continuity of God's love, it's not that at a certain point he stopped being this kind of God and became another type of God, but he was always a God who rejoiced and loved his people. All the history of Israel is that. All the history of the church is that. All of the history of our lives is that. So we see in God's wondrous economy that really stands all earthly wisdom on its head that the shepherd not only is the shepherd, but now the shepherd has become the lamb who would be sacrificed. The high priest would be the sacrifice. In God's wonder and his his love in the uh, first Answer to, or the answer to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism says that all things are subservient to my salvation. Not, not that, that they're, they're underneath, but all things that God has done serve the salvation of His people. All things that God has done serve the salvation of His church, of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. First Peter chapter 1 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who by faith are shielded by God's power. You hear the delight. It wasn't plan B, it was always plan A. He said, this is what I'm going to do for my people. Though they sin and break the covenant, I will bring the Lord Jesus Christ who will be the ultimate sacrifice. He will fulfill the terms of the covenant and will be their covenant God. So we see God's redeeming work is based on this love, His love for us, His love for the Lord Jesus Christ, His delight in us and His delight in His glory. We can give thanks to God for that delight in us. But we also see that a sheep's eye view tells us that the shepherd goes ahead and encourages and leads by example. That's what it means when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. With sheep, apparently, I've never uh, never done it, but I've read that you can't move them. You can't stand behind and kind of move them through a, a place. You've got to go ahead. You open the gate, and then you have to lead them through. If there's a particularly dangerous place on the, uh, on the trail, then the shepherd has to go first, and then they'll follow. They can't stand behind and yell and scream, you know, oh, get going, move through, because they, they simply won't do it. You couldn't beat them, you can't yell at them, you can't bribe them, you can't do anything. You have to go through first. 
And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. That he is the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith, who for what? The joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and so sat down at the right hand of God. I think of when I was ministering in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, at the entrance of the church we had uh, sort of a canopy, and every spring, the barn swallows would uh, would build a nest there. And it was always interesting to watch them. First, they'd build the nest and, you know, then the mother and father bird would be there and then there'd be the eggs. And pretty soon, as you walked out, you could hear the little chirping. And that would that would go on and, you know, you'd see the, the parents feeding them and that would go on, I don't know how many days before they were ready to fly. But then they would they wouldn't just naturally get up and go to the side of the nest and fly off. What they'd do, they'd get up there and they'd watch the mother and father bird. And we watched this with, with awe. The mother and father bird would stand on the side of the, of the nest and then they'd glide down and fly around and then they'd come back. And then they'd do it again. It was like they, they, were, they were showing the, the baby birds how to do it. How, how is this done? You know, they'd never done it before. They didn't know how to fly. And so eventually the brave ones would go and finally all of them would go because of that, uh, that, that, uh, that encouragement and the example. They would soar and loop and do what God had created them to do. But it's, that wasn't just a good example. It's because those baby birds shared the nature of the parents. See, if I put my dog up there and asked her to, to fly, she never could have done it because she didn't share that nature. But the Bible reminds us that we share in the divine nature with Jesus Christ, that we are born again in him, and so we share that nature. That's why Hebrews 4.14 says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus knew and knows what it is to be tired to be hard-pressed, to be overwhelmed, in a sense, by a busy schedule, to have unrealistic expectations put on him, to have constant criticism. He knew firsthand what those things were like, and so he is able to be a Savior who saves human beings to the uttermost. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The shepherd came to be one with the sheep so that, they, so that he might be the good shepherd and they might be the sheep. See, when, when God says, I'll be with you, it's more than a slogan. When Jesus says that he will send the comforter who will be with us and remind us of all those things, it's not just, just some sort of, of uh, empty promise. God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us the scriptures that, that enlighten us, that show us, that teach us of Christ. Sheep's eye view shows us of his love and shows us that he provides for the needs of the sheep. See, we would never be able to come to him unless he provided both physical and spiritual needs for us in all things. The shepherd needs to provide everything for the sheep. I've read that sheep are just astonishingly stupid in what they'll eat. If there's really good food here and poison here, they'd be just as likely to go to the poison as the good food. We're just as likely to fall into sin, it seems, even though we know and and have God's power within us. But he shows in physical things, even in the creation, there's 
um, in, in the mountains of, the, uh, of South America, there's a little fly that lives both in the mountains and down in the, uh, the lowlands. And that little fly up in the mountains has hair on its legs so that it will stay warm. That same fly down in the, uh, in the warm climates does not have that. Why do I use that illustration? The God who cares so much about that little fly is our God. And so he cares for us so much more. Jesus said it this way. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. I tell you, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry. See, his, his care is so immediate that, that we, not, we don't need to worry about things. How easy it is to begin to get bound up by that, the fear of what's coming, whether it be health concerns, whether it be job pressures, whatever. And Kathy and I have, have run into that again and again as we've sought to pursue this, this particular road of ministry. And what we would really like is that every time we finish an interim, that there'd be another one sitting right there and we could just march in and we would, we would just know that we were doing exactly what God wanted. But it's not that way. There, there's a period where you have absolutely no idea. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I have to remember that God cares because I'll wake up at two or three in the morning and, and just that knot of fear. And I've got to remember that, that I have no reason to fear. God has been so faithful over the years. I have to go back and I have to rehearse that again and again. That's what God did with the Israelites. Every time he wanted to do something new, he gathered them together and said, Now remember, you know, I did this. I brought you out. I brought you across. I brought you out of slavery and I gave you the land. And he rehearses it again and again. I need to do that. And I bet you do too. It can't be that all of you are so full of faith that you never, that you never fear, that you never question, that you never think, well, yeah, I mean, he takes care of all of those lilies, but how am I going to meet the bills next month? Yeah, he clothes those lilies of the field and takes care of those little birds, but how in the world am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to, uh, how am I going to take care of the family? What am I going to do about this health problem that continues to come back? And I'm running short of money, and I'm running short of this, and it just doesn't seem like he's there. It says, don't worry about what we'll eat or what we'll drink. He says, the pagans, the unbelievers, run after those things. He says, but your father knows what you need before you need it. He knows. I'd love to go through the congregation. I wish we had the time and just talk to each one of you about how God has been faithful again and again in each of these circumstances. And what a time of praise that would be. We don't have time to do that. We see that it's physical and it's spiritual. It says that he feeds. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The way that he feeds us spiritually is by his word, by the sacraments. His word, it says, is living and active. And as I prayed at the beginning, it looks even into the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It gives us wisdom and insight. It says that the Bible 
The Word of God is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the person, the man of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word. What did Jesus do? In his life and ministry, when, when someone would question, remember when, uh, when he dealt with uh, Satan and the temptations, he always answered with Scripture. You see again and again that he did something because it would fulfill the Scriptures. He was someone who was, who was deeply immersed in the Scriptures, who had memorized them, who understood not only, uh, not only what they said, but the real meaning of them. Now, see, we, we take that somewhat for granted because he's Jesus, but... Remember that he learned those things. In the book of Hebrews, it says he learned obedience from what he suffered. As fully human as well as fully God, he needed to learn those things, to, to memorize, to, uh, to have that be part of who he was. And then in the sacraments, in the Word and in the sacraments where Christ offers himself, not just as a ceremony, not just to sort of run the flag up the flagpole and salute it, but as an opportunity to, uh, to actually feed on Christ in the supper. Charles Spurgeon, in, uh, in one of his hymns, wrote this verse. It says, What food luxurious loads the board, when at his table sits the Lord. The wine how rich, the bread how sweet, when Jesus deigns his guests to meet. What's he saying? He's saying that we actually meet and spiritually feed on Jesus Christ in that sacrament. He provides spiritually everything that we could possibly want and in the most difficult time. The time when we're seemingly most alone, that verse that says, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with us. There's an interesting insight that I got on that some time ago. I'd never really thought about it, but... It says that the valley of the shadow of death. In order for there to be a shadow, what must there be? There must be light. If it was all darkness, there'd be no shadow. But the walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's, it's real, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the power because the light of Christ is there. There's such a difference between those who know Christ as their shepherd and those who don't at the time of death. And I've seen it again and again as a pastor. I think of one woman especially, Mary, independent, uh, an older woman. She was, she was virtually blind, but she lived independently. And if she wanted to check if the tea was ready, she'd just go up and put her hand on the, uh, on, on the teapot, see if it was hot. An amazing woman, and when she was diagnosed with cancer, and they knew that, and she knew that it would take her life, that there was no treatment for it. There was no anger, there was no bitterness. All she wanted was to have the Word of God read to her and to be nourished by that Word of God for her final journey. And God did a wondrous thing. I remember uh, just, just reading the Word to her, and as she slipped and slipped away gently and softly into the arms of her Savior. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The shadow of death has no permanent reality because of the light of Christ. There's a greater picture there. He restores my soul, and then later on, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. He's talking there about the ultimate purpose, not just of redemption, not just of salvation, but of restoration, as we talked a little bit about in the Sunday school class. That what God is doing 
through his church, is to restore as well as redeem. And that idea of restoring is to sort of bring back to its original intent. See, when the fall happened and things were, and, and sin entered the world and the world was, uh, was brought into a fallen state, that uh, Paul says even the creation groans, that what God is doing is to bring that back, to redeem that to literally put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Even though all the king's horses and all the king's men can't do it, God can do it. And so he says to us, don't fear, little flock, for it is my delight to give you the kingdom. See, he leads because he delights in the sheep. He goes ahead, leads by example, and gives us physically and spiritually all that we could possibly need, both here on earth and into all eternity. There's a a great paraphrase of the 23rd Psalm in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's the answer to the first question. It actually is a paraphrase, I think, of the 23rd Psalm. Listen to what it says. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of of the devil and so preserves me that not a hair can, uh, that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and able and ready henceforth to live for him. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I know that in this group of people that there are some of you who do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ, who do not know him as your Savior, don't know him as your shepherd. I want to encourage you to talk to one of the elders this morning or talk to me after the service. But as you hear these words, you know that in your brokenness, that you need the Lord Jesus. You need to be made whole. You need for him to come and to restore that which was destroyed by the fall, bring you into a fullness of relationship that not only will delight, but will actually be what you were created to be, to be in relationship with the living God through his Son. I encourage you to do that this morning. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your goodness, in your grace, in your mercy that you have given us the Lord Jesus, that with body and soul and life and in death, that we are not our own, but belong to him, our faithful shepherd and guide. Father, it would be my prayer this morning for those who know Christ that their relationship would deepen with him, that the fullness of of his love and his mercy would grow upon them, that they would reflect that back to a fallen world. Father, for those young or old who don't know you this morning, that the words of Christ to come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will refresh That we can take his load upon us and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart. And we will find rest for our souls, we'll be true for them. 
Let your word and spirit do its work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love